page 1134 again, it's verse 14 to 16, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave, again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Amen. Well, we're going to home uh, in on these verses, but it's always important for us to try and keep our bearings, remind us ourselves where we are going in Romans. And the Romans 8 especially is so, so rich, and we want to engage with it, and we want to have our lives amended by it, and we want to be energized by it, uh, that we're going quite slowly, but sometimes we don't see the wood for the trees, so we want to try and see uh, the wood uh, at the outset of the sermon this morning. And that is that uh, Romans is all about righteousness. Righteousness, a right standing before God. And we're in trouble because we don't have a right standing before God. One day we're going to stand before Jesus, and if we aren't righteous, we will be cast out. But the good news, Paul tells us in Romans, that God has provided that for us. What we don't have ourselves, God provides for us, and he gives it to us in Christ. And in chapters 6 to 8, uh, we are reading about a righteousness, not that has been accounted to us, but is to be lived out, worked out in our lives. We call that sanctification, or we call it growing in, in holiness. That's chapter 6 to 8. Now, in chapter 8, the emphasis is on the fact that we're secure as Christians. We have security. Now, we haven't stopped thinking about sanctification. This truth that we are secure is actually a driver for our sanctification. Uh, when we read the New Testament on sanctification, it always uh, does two things at the same time. It energizes us to godliness, and it assures us of our salvation. Any teaching on on Becoming holy, which doesn't do these two things at the same time, is not biblical. You see, you could have a, you could have a, a, a driver to being uh, more holy, which played upon insecurity. You know, uh, you're not exactly sure that you're going to be saved, therefore you need to try harder to please God. That's not the way the New Testament does it. Not what we have in chapter 8. It assures us of our sonship, and through that energizes us to be what we are in Christ, to live as the children of God. And so we come now, uh, after this, uh, these verses which we looked at last time about putting to death the misdeeds of the body, we come to these verses which are gloriously assuring us of our sonship and of how the Holy Spirit makes us uh, confident that we are the children of God. So, Here's the question to which these verses are the answer. How can I know, how can I be sure in here that I am a son of God, that I have been brought into the family of God? You know, sometimes we hear of quite remarkable ways where God does assure people that uh, they are loved of him. 
Uh, let me just give you two uh, of these, quite remarkable ways. We had a guy in our congregation in Sky who worked in England before he came up to Sky. And uh, before he became a Christian, he used to uh, drive cars from uh, one place from near London uh, to where they were being sold. And to save money, he would hitchhike back uh, home. And on one occasion, a car went past him and then turned back to pick him up. And he thought this was rather strange. And when he got into conversation with the driver, the driver said, I felt God was telling me to pull back and give you a lift and to tell you that he loves you. And he's going. But this happened two or three times again after this. And he still wasn't converted. He still didn't trust. And when he moved to Sky and when he heard the gospel, he, he came to Christ. It's a remarkable story uh, of God being on his case. Um, I'm thinking of somebody else. Again, uh, he wasn't a Christian. I think he was probably uh, in his early 20s and he's on a bus in the north of Scotland. And the bus stops in a highland village and somebody gets on, a little boy gets on actually, and uh, he's got a piece of paper in his hand. And he goes to the back of the bus where this fellow is sitting and he gives him the piece of paper and it says, Agape. It's as easy as ABC. Now, this guy had just been praying to God that God would, uh, would show him that he loved him. And then this boy comes on with a scrap of paper. And on this way out of the, of the bus, he asks the boy, why did you give me this piece of paper? It didn't mean an awful lot to him at the time. And he, the boy, the child, simply said that uh, he felt that God was telling him to do this. Now, these are extremely unusual ways uh, for God to tell people that they are loved of God and children of God. Uh, but they do happen. I have no, no I doubt about the genuineness of, of both of these. But the normal way is through the work of the Holy Spirit in the ways outlined in verses 14 to 16. And uh, leaving aside the question of whether the Holy Spirit uh, in a direct way uh, speaks to us in, in ways kind of similar to these two examples, uh, the, the testifying of the Holy Spirit with our spirit that we are the children of God uh, that we have in verse 16 refers back, I believe, to what is said in verses 14 and 15 about his work. First of all, in uh, leading us to holiness, uh, in bringing us from uh, slavery to freedom, and thirdly, bringing us new intimacy in prayer so that we cry out, Abba, Father. These are the three ways in which the Holy Spirit uh, typically and regularly assures us that we are the children of God. First of all, then, we know we're children of God because there is a new leading in our lives. There is a new leading in our lives because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Okay, that's quite straightforward, isn't it? That makes sense. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Now, this leading of the Spirit doesn't refer to the kind of leading that we often think you know, God is telling me uh, 
I've got to marry her or I've got to apply for this job, a kind of leading in, in future events. It's talking about the kind of activity that has already been spoken about. Uh, the context is all important with these things. And it's following on from what has been said about putting to death the misdeeds of the body. Those who by the Spirit put to death the misdeeds of the body are led by the Spirit of God. And these same people are the sons of God. That's the character. That's the characteristic of the sons of God. You want to know who the sons of God are? They're the people who are out there putting to death the misdeeds of the body because they're led by the Spirit to do that. The Spirit is leading them in putting to death the misdeeds of the body. And there's a connection with verse 13. Uh, the sons of God have eternal life which is the promise given in uh, verse 13 to, put, to, who, to those who put to death the misdeeds of the body. So, as we were thinking about last time, when you're a Christian, when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit gives you a new clarity, a new sensitivity as to what sin is, and a new desire to, to leave it behind. That, friends, is a token of our belonging to the family of God. Because those who are led by the Spirit, they are the children of God. Now, being led by the Spirit is a, <clears throat> is a phrase that you, you come across a lot in the wider church. Let me say a few things that it's not. Some, some of the, the things which are being led by the Spirit does not imply. First of all, it doesn't imply that you're a superior Christian. To be led by the Spirit is not a mark of being in the elite Sometimes that's the impression, you know, uh, uh, people who are always uh, claiming to, to hear directly from God, uh, whose every move is preceded by uh, a sign, uh, give the impression that they have moved up a gear and that they're no longer part of a common herd of Christians. Now, the drift of the verse is actually in the opposite direction. Far from implying that being led by the Spirit is a mark of being an elite. What Paul is saying here is that this is the mark of all Christians, that uh, it's, it's something which belongs to, to, to every genuine Christians, Christian. Uh, the, the word for at the beginning of verse 14, uh, or uh, because we have it in, in the church Bible, because is obviously pointing back uh, to what's already been said. Uh, it's pointing back to verse 13, uh, where we have, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Uh, so the because is a connecting word. It's showing that there's a logical connection. And the connection is that all who put to death the misdeeds of the body are those who are led by the Spirit, who in turn are the children of God. And Paul's point is that every true Christian will put to death the misdeeds of the body, and that is a mark of being children of God. That is a, so a token of our security, that we will have eternal life. Uh, secondly, the leading of the Spirit is an ongoing leading. The word indicates uh, that. This is bread and butter, Sunday to Saturday Christianity. It's not uh, like we only have the, the leading of the Spirit in a particularly desperate situation an out-of-the-blue situation. It's an ongoing, everyday uh, relationship with the Holy Spirit. 
Uh, thirdly, it doesn't mean that we're taken over uh, and operate under the influence of the Holy Spirit as if the leading of the Spirit was like some kind of alien takeover. You know, uh, Being led by the Spirit doesn't mean that your, your brain is taken over by uh, something outside you and that you are kind of an automatic pilot, you know, that you have been, uh, you've come under uh, the, the driving of an outside force. You know, sometimes people speak in language which suggests that kind of thing. Uh, suddenly God stepped in and the Spirit took over. Uh, now, the idea that the leading of the Spirit is this kind of compulsion, I think sometimes can be taken from the fact that, that the, the, the Greek word there, lead, can sometimes be used, can sometimes be translated as drive. But not in the context of the work of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit uh, doesn't constrain or compel in that way. Uh, Listen to how Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, put it when he was commenting on this verse. He says, what the Spirit does is to enlighten, persuade. The Holy Spirit never browbeats us. The impulse can be very strong, but there's no driving, no compulsion. Fourthly, the Spirit doesn't lead us in ways that question the truth of the Bible. Now, again, uh, you might have heard people say, I just feel the Spirit leading me to do this. And it's funny how, when you hear that expression, uh, I, I usually have warning lights flashing, because very often uh, they're talking about uh, something which is actually a bit dodgy, you know, it doesn't... doesn't fit terribly well with what the Bible teaches. And this expression, I feel the Spirit is leading me to do this, just seems to bolster up a pretty weak argument for the course of action that they're, they're proposing to take. And so I think we should use the expression very sparingly, unless we're talking about the Spirit leading us through the Word. Because the Spirit never undermines or contradicts the Word that He has once inspired, always leads through the Word. So, positively, we know that one of the ways that we are God's sons and daughters is that we have this new desire to please God. And the Holy Spirit is the, the Spirit that's leading us to want to please God. It's a bit uncomfortable at times because the Spirit is showing us all these things that are wrong in our lives. Sometimes we're in a bit of turmoil and perplexity. But friends, when that happens, it's good because the Spirit is leading us to put to death these things that once we had no problem with. They were just there in our lives. But now God has shown us that they have no place in our lives. There's new life. That's the first way that the Spirit assures us that we're children of God. He leads us into holiness. Secondly, uh, he brings freedom instead of fear. He brings freedom instead of fear. Uh, verse 15, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave, again, to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, or the spirit that brings about our adoption 
freedom instead of fear. Uh, we move out from the realm of being like a slave uh, with this slavish fear of God, and we now move into a new relationship with God that has confidence and freedom. It's a world of a difference. really helps us to, to think about what Paul had in mind when he was using the, the term adoption. And uh, the, the, the strict translation of, of Holy Spirit here, the spirit of, of adoption. Uh, in Roman times, in the Roman culture, remember Paul's writing to the church in Rome, they were used to this transaction of adoption. And very often it was uh, a wealthy family that didn't have any children. And they had no, they had no son especially. It was always the son who took over the inheritance. That's why uh, you know, we use the term sonship. It didn't sit in our uh, politically correct atmosphere uh, very easily. But we use the term sonship because of the connection with inheritance. Um, but of course it's implying sons and daughters. And in Paul's culture, a family that didn't have a son to inherit the farm were concerned that they should get someone to do that. And very often it was a slave within the household that was picked out to be an adopted son. And so the father would go and would, uh, would speak to the, the natural parents and would uh, make a, an arrangement for uh, the adoption process and also for a sum of money to be transferred. And there was a ritual that took place uh, whereby some witnesses were gathered, the natural parents met with the adoptive parents and the, the son to be adopted. And an amount of money was agreed and it was paid over and then given back, paid over, given back, paid over, given back three times. And the reason for that was that uh, you could buy a slave, but he could be bought back again. And the, the family had a right to do that twice. But after the third transaction, that was it. There was no going back. He was absolutely secure as the adopted son. And the, the family <coughs> who were going to release their son to be adopted didn't usually resist because there was a lot in it for them. Uh, for one thing, uh, the debts of this son were wiped out the minute the adopted family took over the son. Imagine your son's got £50,000 of student loans and uh, someone's going to pay that off. Uh, you can see the attraction. And that's what happened in that day. The, the debts were paid. And not only were the debts paid, but the... Uh, the son became the heir. All that would have fallen to a natural heir became his uh, on the death of the parents. Heir to all of the property, entered into a new status, just as though he was a natural son. Now, when you put it like that, it sounds cold and calculated, and it's all a financial consideration. But, in fact, when the son came into the family, the, the parents, the father was was ultra keen that the son would recognize him as father. He bestowed him in all the, the love and the warmth and the kindness that he would have shown to a natural born son. Every access is given. And Paul saying, this is what the spirit of sonship does. This is what the spirit's work in the believer is. It's to bring that assurance 
Uh, when Paul says, speaks about the spirit of adoption, it's not strictly the spirit that does the transaction. It's the Father that adopts. It's the Spirit's work to bring that confidence, that freedom into our lives that we are the children of God. That's what he does. One of the reasons that the adopted ritual involved payment, you, know, you can imagine if you were a, a powerful, wealthy uh, person, you could probably force you know, your, your, uh, the parents of your slave to give up the son. But a price was paid, and there was this ritual of the price to underline the fact that this was a, a real transaction, that the parents were ready to pay the price. And the reminder of that price being paid would bolster the son's confidence that he was a child of God. Now you see where that's going, don't you? You see how that fits in with the whole gospel story. The price that has been paid for us, the blood of Jesus. Peter speaks about that. Chapter 1, 18 and 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. The price of blood. Now, Peter's speaking about redemption price, but it's the same idea. Price of adoption, blood of Jesus. And similarly, the idea of the Holy Spirit being a witness to us harkens back to what happened in the, the ritual of adoption. These witnesses, why did they have the witnesses present? Because the possibility was that one day the adoptive parents would die uh, before the, uh, the son entered his inheritance. And, and rivals could, could conceivably come and say, he's not the son. And he could always call their witness, those who had been there. And there was a, a formula, and the, the witnesses would say, I was there when the price of 300 denarii was paid out for the adoption of Marcus. The witnesses would vouchsafe that he was a son. The Spirit is testifying with our spirits that we are children of God. Now, Contrast that with the spirit of slavery. What it's like to be a slave as opposed to being a son. If you're working as a slave, then you continually have your eye upon your slave owner. And you know that you're, you know, he doesn't uh, hold you in any great regard or love, that you're useful to him. And, you know, you're only as secure as your usefulness to your owner. And so you're continually looking up with one eye at what he is thinking of your behavior. Uh, there's a, an anxiety about your relationship. Um, and someone as well who is in a relationship of trying to earn salvation is similarly insecure in the relationship with God. And one of the reasons that people become very critical uh, of others is that uh, they're insecure themselves in, in their standing with God. And so to bolster their own standing, they'll try to put others down. Someone who's secure of being in a father's love doesn't need to do that. 
the great model of, of what it is to be a son as opposed to a slave is found in the, the parable of Jesus, great parable of the two sons. And you remember the, the younger one who blew it all and, and rebelled against his father, welcomed back into the grace of the household and to the embrace of his father's love, who runs to meet him. And the elder one, who's been at home, and yet he's not been at home, in a sense, in a deeply spiritual sense, he's been away. He's been further out there than the younger one ever was. Because he's been trying to achieve acceptance by the things that he'd done. And so when he complains to the father, his complaint is a telling complaint. He says, all these years I've slaved for you. He's not been living as a son. He's been trying to earn his father's acceptance. All these years I've slaved for you and you never gave me so much as a kid so that I could celebrate with my friends. And now this son of yours, distancing himself from his brother, comes home, who's wasted his, your money and rises with him. Comes home and you kill the fatted calf. All these years I've slaved for you. The Spirit is not the Holy Spirit of slavery. He's the Holy Spirit of sonship and brings us into a new confidence in our relationship with God. Finally, and, and very briefly, the Spirit witnesses to our spirit, thirdly, in the, the way that we enter a new intimacy in prayer. By him, we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is simply the Aramaic word uh, for, for father. Jews never addressed God directly as father. Uh, God was sometimes referred to as the father of Israel. Uh, Jews were so wary of using God's name that they wouldn't write it down uh, fully. And Jesus comes and he not only addresses God as Father, but he teaches his disciples. When you pray, say, Our Father. This is the huge change, the enormous gear shift that takes place in the New Testament. Uh, the Holy Spirit brings us near to God, brings us a new liberty, uh, enables us to spontaneously uh, confidently cry out to God, Father, Father. The uh, theologian uh, J.R. Packer, he gets this so wonderfully, and, and he writes about uh, this in his book, Knowing God. He says, you sum up the whole of New Testament teaching in a single phrase if you speak of it as a revelation of the fatherhood of the Holy Creator. In the same way you sum up the whole of New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's Holy Father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his Father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook in life, it means that he doesn't understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new, 
and better than the old. Everything that's distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. We cry, Abba, Father. This is not a, a, a chummy, natty uh, way of addressing God. This, the, the, the word cry expresses uh, someone really shouting out in difficulty. You know, imagine a, a child running along the street and falls and grazes his knee and cries out, Daddy, it's that kind of thing. In our difficulty, in our dark night, in that time when everything seems against us, the Holy Spirit will prompt us to spontaneously cry, Father, Father. What a wonderful assurance that we are the children of God, led by the Spirit to address God as Father. This is the greatest privilege that we have as believers, to be brought into the family of God. There is nothing higher than this. It's the very top. Once we were outside, now we are family. And we learn what a good father truly is. You know, whatever our experience of an earthly father is, we don't project that onto what God is. God is the template. And he's all that we've ever lacked. And to be brought into his family is to have the Holy Spirit assuring us that we're children. Because he leads us to want to be more like Jesus. He replaces fear with freedom. And he enables us to call out to God as Father. And we pray. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this precious word. How, how rich the scriptures are. How they breathe assurance into our souls. Lord, if, if there is someone this morning in the service today who is needing that word of comfort and assurance, Lord, may your Holy Spirit grant it. And Lord, if we don't have that assurance because we're actually not your children yet, grant, Lord, that we will cry out to you to save us. And through trusting in Jesus, Lord, make us your children. But whatever our need, Lord, we pray that you will be glorified in our glad obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Now, our closing hymn is How Deep the Father's Love for Us, How Vast Beyond All Measure, That He Should Give His Only Son to Make a Wretch His Treasure. And we'll stand in song.